thank you. Your word is living and active. And would you fill Tim with only a real fresh focus and open our hearts and minds to receive all you have for us this evening through him. Peter, I think, from memory, is 1, 1, 5, uh, 1, page 1, 1, 5, 1 in the green Bibles, or towards the end, you're scrolling through on your phone or your Palm Pilot or whatever you read scripture with these days. Uh, just um, while you're finding that, uh, just a tiny postscript on the Easter day, Easter services, we've got the sunrise service and the fire pit and then bacon butters and so on, 6 o'clock. Then the 10.30 followed by pub lunch, no five. Uh, so there won't be an evening service on Easter Sunday. It's just conscious of Bank Holiday Monday. A lot of people are heading out Sunday anyway. I think we had six last year. So we thought, hey, why don't we all uh, fold into the morning service? So there's a 6 a.m. and a 10.30 on Easter day, but no five. Uh, we, uh, we've been working through 1 Peter kind of systematically, and we're now kind of going back and picking through the bones uh, thematically, Lydia last week on hope, and this week we're looking at holiness. Uh, So I'm in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13, and I'm going to just jump across and read something in chapter 2. Therefore, Peter writes, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children... Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Just over the page, chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by human beings, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And just jump down to verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Yeah, Father, just to follow up Lydia's prayer just now, we pray your spirit would take these words written to them there then and apply them to our hearts in us here now. Transform us by the renewing of our minds that we can test and approve your good, pleasing and perfect will and walk it out in our daily lives to make a difference 
for your glory. Amen. Be holy. Be holy. And how we how we respond. What's your gut reaction as you, you read that? Be holy, just as I'm holy. Kind of typical God bragging again. <laughs> Check out my holiness. I want you to match up. Be holy. What's the image you have? Do, do we kind of are we conditioned to receive that command? It is a command. Kind of stern, sinister, austere God. Big bushy beard, stick in hand. There's kind of strikes of lightning and big claps of thunder. Be holy. Kind of Moses with the two stone tablets. The Lord, thou shalt not. We don't match up. Be holy. Anger. <laughs> Maybe it's, um, maybe it's uh, something echoing in our childhood. Maybe we were the kid who was always a little bit um, testing, <laughs> our tricky one. <laughs> Be good. It's in third in all the injunctions that we receive through parents or parental figures. Maybe it's the head teacher. You know how we can never quite do enough? We're never in the right place. The exam results or tests aren't quite good enough. We... We're reaching for the approval that we so desperately yearn for and we never quite get it. Be good, try harder, match up, be holy. Oh. Is, it, is, it, is it striking in a, a little bit of a void for some of us, the kind of hole in the soul? We try. We try. Lent. We're in the middle of Lent. What are we doing? We, Lent is when we, we discipline ourselves in order to become a bit more holy. That's when we give up stuff. It, it's called fasting. But maybe it's, um, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll lay off the chocolate or the alcohol or the TV or whatever it might be. I'll lay it down in order to try and be a little bit more holy. But if we're honest, it, it kind of feels like 40 days of cold turkey. The, the best thing about Lent is that it comes to an end. I'm looking forward to Easter, not so I can celebrate that Jesus Christ is risen, but that so I can get back on the alcohol again, just live a normal life. And maybe that's it. Holiness isn't quite normal. It's, it's kind of not what normal people do to pursue holiness. We have that phrase, don't we? Holier than thou. And that's a, that's a derogatory phrase. We, we wouldn't like someone describing us as holier than thou. But if we, if we actually think, what does that phrase mean? It means someone trying to be even, or someone who is actually more holy. Is what Peter's kind of encouraging us to be holy. And yet, we don't kind of want to. If I'm honest. I'm not sure if I really, really want to be holy. It, it isn't kind of the image that I kind of picture. And yet, the English word holy comes from uh, an old English term, halig, and that actually comes from a German word, heilig, and it, 
there's sort of cluster of words around that, like health or um, uh, happiness or, or wholeness. The idea of, of holiness comes from this idea that, that every single part of us is integral and joined together. There's a consistency. There's a kind of weight to us. That, that we're not kind of fragmented or light or thin. There's substance to our lives. Holiness. Don't, don't you want that deep down? Maybe not the image of holiness, but I, I want to be meaningful. I want to feel that deep sense of well-being and peace. That, that the things that I say and do and think match up to how I like to imagine myself saying and thinking and doing. There's an integrity inside and out. I long for that. Don't you? Deep, deep down, I really do want to be holy. I want to be holy. I want to live up to that command. I want to be holy because I want to know that I'm worthy of holiness, that I can actually handle holiness. And that in being holy, I'm, I'm accepted by a God who is holy. Be holy as I am holy. Join in with me. Chime in with me. Resonate with me, a holy God. You holy people, be holy. Let's flesh out a definition a little bit more. This is, uh, we've had mention of Pete Gregg. Um, and uh, this is from one of his books. Holiness is none other than God's life in us. Holiness is union with Christ where the join cannot be seen. Holiness is to become in Godded, enfleshed with the Holy Son of God. It is to say yes to grace and mercy and kindness and life and glory and power and love and joy and delight and freedom and fulfillment. Because Christ lives in us, to be holy means all that is in him is released through us. To be holy means you are as close as it's possible to be in this life to the heart of God. To associate holiness with self-denying negatives Pete Gregg continues, is to miss the point. No one ever worries about what he or she is missing, sorry, no lover, no lover ever worries about what he or she is missing out on. The heart is consumed with a greater single purpose. Holiness. It's it's heart, not behaviour. Heart first, poured out through behaviour. So I want to Look at holiness, this idea of being holy. But first, let's put it into some kind of context. And uh, Lydia, she teaches so fantastically, often takes us back to the Genesis account of creation. Uh, and actually, it's because in many ways it's the seedbed of the Bible and therefore the seedbed of our 
understanding of ourselves in relation to each other and supremely in relation to God, where we remember Genesis 1 and 2, the, the complementary accounts of creation culminating in God saying, this is very good. This is so good. Everything made to his order by his word and human beings made in his image. The, the, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, relationship, love. And we made out of relationship to be in relationship. And so Genesis 3, what's known as the fall from grace, the fall from God's generosity. God, we live in God's generosity. Plummet out of it with the first bite of that fruit. And, and the first thing that it says of, of men and women is that they, they, they kind of realize, whereas end of chapter two, they were naked and felt no shame. Soul bare and yet fulfilled. And suddenly, as a result of their sin, wanting to be God for themselves, they, they, they feel exposed. And so they cover themselves up. They, they hide from one another and they hide from God. And what is God's response to that, that sin, that, that little die of sin that comes and spreads into the whole of creation? What is, what is God's response? Actually, do you know this is key in our whole, our whole understanding, our whole reception of holiness. What is God's response? Is there fierce anger in his response? Is there a kind of rampaging purge through the Garden of Eden? His response is the, actually the very first question that God asks human beings throughout the whole of you. There's loads of questions in Job, all sorts of questions through the ministry of Jesus. The very first question that God asks human beings is in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9. And it is the heart cry of God. Three words. Where are you? Where are you? And I wonder, the key actually is, what is the tone of voice how do you read that question in, in terms of tone? Is it, again, the angry God rampaging through the garden? Where are you? Come on! Out you come! Where are you? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> or is it, and I'm speaking as a parent, uh, it was a crowded scene, uh, uh, I can't remember exactly where we were, but it was a kind of like a but coming out of a concert or something like that, our little ones, Luke, uh, he was about, I don't know, three, four, I can't remember. I just look over, there's all, all the sort of adults, and of course there, you can't see kids, little kids in a sea of adults. And I just see Joe as we're, we're wandering out, have you got Luke? I said, no, I thought you had him. I thought you had him. And we suddenly realised in that moment we haven't got Luke. I, said, well, I, I promise you, I promise you, Later on, there was sort of, oh, look, look, we told you, either with mum or dad, hold a hand, all that kind of, but right there, right there, I promise you, we're not going, okay, where's the boy now? Which is, where is he? Where is he? Panic, fear, fear for him, concern for him. 100%, I promise you, I am a flawed human being, I am not a perfect parent, but I promise you there, pure, pure, pure concern for him, love for him, desire for him. I need to know that he's okay. Where is he? Where is he? Where are you? Genesis 3 verse 9. 
Everything else from then on, the whole of Scripture is the story of God acting out that search, longing for human beings, longing for those for whom he loves, to call them home. The holiness of God. The holiness of God, the purity of God, the love of God, the desire of God, the passion of God for you, for me. Sin is basically covering up and hiding. And God comes in search of us. Where am I? If you hear nothing else this evening, please hear this. The heart of God in that situation, a holy God and sinful people, the heart of God is to draw us, not to drive us out of hiding. You see it in 1 Peter, chapter 1 and verse 15. Peter's got it, because he knows how gently and wonderfully and lovingly he's been handled by Jesus. Verse 15, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it's written, be holy because I am holy. He calls us, he woos us, he invites us. He doesn't drive us out of hiding, he draws us out of hiding. If we will only see his heart and respond to his holiness, we would long to be holy too. Point number one, holiness is, well, when we look at that command there, be holy because I'm holy, it's an invitation as much as it's a command. It is a command, it's in the imperative, but it's an invitation. The psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He calls you, he calls you, he calls me. He calls us out of darkness and into light, out of shadow and into reality. You, you, know, you know, and the scientists will bear this out, but you can Google this, I'm not a scientist, I had to Google this, but um, darkness is not a thing. Light is a thing, and darkness is just what we call the absence of light. You can measure light, you can quantify light, you can't in the same way measure or quantify darkness. And darkness is always overcome by light. It's a great metaphor that that is used of Jesus in John chapter 1. The light has come into the world and the darkness cannot overcome it. No, it can't. It's a scientific fact. Darkness is just a, a, it's nothing. It's a no thing. It doesn't exist. Except in the absence of light. It has to be defined only in terms of light. So... So God in his holiness calls us into light, into reality, into measurable substance. We become, we become something of substance when we walk in the light. But when we walk in the darkness, we, we walk into a no thing. We, we, we impoverish ourselves. We rob ourselves. We thin ourselves. Sin loves the darkness. And God, in his holiness, invites us, calls us into light so that we might be of substance. When we live in the light, we grow. When we slink into the darkness, we weaken. You want to grow? You want to be strong? I want to be strong. I want to be strong substance. I want to be, kind of, kind of, I want to be a big person in that sense. In terms of stature in terms of wisdom, in terms of life that I speak, 
in my place of work, in my neighbourhoods and networks, with the friendships I have. I, I, it's good to have a, a sort of a desire for a name or renown. Oh, that's Tim. He's the. Well, that's James. He's the, That's Bob. He's the. He's the one who is good, is solid, is sound, is wise, is dependable. We want that. God calls us out of darkness into light to be holy and Godded. He calls us out of confusion and into clarity. I remember I was preaching at Christmas and I thought I'll, I'll take a punt. It was a carol service. I thought I'll, I'll mention the B word, uh, Brexit. And at the time I thought it is so confusing. This is in December. That is so confusing. All the possible choices and arrays. I promise you, what I preached then, absolutely dead straightforward compared to what I say now. Who knows? I mean, even around Theresa May, what's going to happen to Theresa May? Or the leadership. One report that she's going to carry on as Prime Minister, but not the leader of the party. Is a sort of point people are jostling for that, and the cabinet completely split on just on the leadership issues. Never mind whether we have another referendum or da da da. Oh my word, confusion. You want confusion in kind of uh, uh, sociology? Just Google gender identity. See if there's clarity there. And, and we, we, we fear to try. You know, it's somehow it, it's offensive now to say, you know, I've got a clear view on this, I think. The truth is kind of marginalised, whereas confusion is verified. It, it's, it's kind of a, a subtle... Or not so subtle, deception of the enemy. God is calling us to just put away the blinds, walk into light, see. He calls us out of the deception of evil. He calls us to eschew the beauty and truth of good. And again, even there, he kind of the, the enemy can reverse reverse our values. This is Simon Vile, uh, just on good and evil. She says, imaginary evil, like not real, imaginary evil is romantic and varied. But talk to any of the parents who've just lost a teenager to another knife attack around here. Real evil is gloomy, monotonous, barren, boring, I might say soul-destroying, terrifying, gut-wrenching. Imaginary good is boring. But real good is new, marvellous, intoxicating. And if, if we think about it for a moment, that's true, isn't it? Evil purports to be fun and enticing, but really? Like, really? And good. Again, we our, our locals are sort of contextualised language it, it, you know, like we talk about goody two-shoes, and who wants to be a goody two-shoes? But good, it, it's, it's kind of solid, it, it's of substance, it, intoxicating, yeah, yeah, goodness. Why don't we, why don't we want that? Actually, deep down, we do, we do. <laughs> we want to be holy. God is inviting us into holiness. And holiness reveals the implicit generosity and grace of the call. That's the scandal of the gospel. That a holy God calls to sinful men and women 
Come and join me. If you want a book on holiness, uh, I don't think I can do much better than recommend many books written by the great and the good. But um, a contemporary author, Simon Ponsonby, he's a teaching pastor at um, St. Aldate's Church in Oxford. And he's written The Pursuit of the Holy. And here he's quoted Jonathan Edwards, one of the great revivalist preachers. Uh, who he was, Jonathan Edwards was going through just a period where he became so aware of his sin, so aware of his shortfalling, so aware of how far short of God's glory he fell. And uh, this is what he says as he reflected in that moment of confession. He reflected on God's holiness. Were it not for God's holiness, I would probably be unaware of such sins. Were it not for God's holiness, I would probably not care about some sins. And then this is what he says about grace. Were it not for God's grace, I would be drowning in even more sin. And were it not for God's grace, I'd have no hope of freedom from such sin. And were it not for God's grace, I'd be in danger of judgment for such sin. The generosity and the grace of God. Be holy. Invitation as much as it is command. But secondly, I've got enough space on this on this lecture. Here we go. Because uh, I, I recognise I've emphasised emphasize in the be holy as I am holy the, the kind of invitational element. But actually, as I said earlier, it is a command. Be holy is a a command. When Moses was rehearsing the law to the people of Israel, which is recounted in uh, some of Deuteronomy and, and the book of Leviticus, and he punctuates the, the rehearsing of the law. In other words, as the people of God, these are the kind of attitudes and behaviours that will shape you and make you look like people who reflect my glory. And every now and then he punctuates it with, be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. Uh, and Peter is, if you look at the footnote in 1 Peter Chapter 1, verse uh, 16, little a, and at the bottom there, you can see that they're picking up on those Leviticus references, actually six times in Leviticus. In other words, implicit in the the, the law of God is, is this command, be holy. No one is exempt. And Jesus, in summarizing the law, through his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Matthew chapter 5, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. There's, there's an expectation that we will seek to be good and pure and right and loving and engodded. That, that we will look to do all we can to allow everything of him to be let out through us. And there's a responsibility. Holiness doesn't just happen if we sort of wait around. If you don't intend, age 28, to live a life of holiness, you won't suddenly become holy when you're 56. In fact, given that the, the, the patterns of this world, as, as Paul refers to it in Romans 12, you know, we're much more likely to be conformed to the pattern of this world unless we intend to live differently. G.K. Chesterton said, if you have a white fence post, you have to keep painting it white, otherwise eventually it'll turn black. The pursuit of holiness, command and responsibility on us.
quite interesting. The Greek word for holy is hagios, from which we get hagiography. Uh, and that means literally sort of to be set apart or dedicated to God. So holiness as an invitation and holiness as a command. Thirdly, be holy because this is the only way in which we will experience genuine spiritual life transformation. It's the only way we will change. Holiness on offer to God as he invites us into his life of holiness is the only way we will change. Lasting change. We try. We, we try our best efforts. New Year's resolutions. How long do they last? The efforts over length, little periods of time. It takes six weeks to change your habit. You think, okay, six weeks. I'll try harder. I'll try harder. And we try and we try and we fail and we fall short. And we're so aware of our fragility. We're so aware of our... John Ortberg talks of them as disappointments. We're appointed to live for God. So when we live out of kilter with, with God, we are, we are literally disappointed. And, and the tragedy is that we, we learn to live with that disappointment. We, we learn to live with that difference between what we know we could be in God and what we actually are. And we long to change. We long to become like God, to be holy as he is holy. But instead we, we, we cope, we compromise with living in our sin sickness. And we need to understand how God sees us in our sin sickness. A story. Uh, again, forgive me, it's a bit sort of self-referential, sort of parental stories. But it was, again, when our children were young. And I tell this story to my shame. And even, even as I recall this story and my reaction to what happened, as I'm about to tell you, I, I, I can feel a prick of shame. You're wondering what I'm going to say now. Yeah. So it was an evening. Joe and I uh, relaxing. Uh, I probably a glass of wine, telly on. Uh, just oh, particularly as, as parents of young children, you just you long for getting tea bath bed out of the way. And once the, once the last one's in bed, you go ah, oh, and you literally just a flop. Uh, and though it, I, was, I was kind of it was, I don't know what was on tea, glass of wine. You're just in that lovely, warm, kind of slightly soporific, you know, chilled. Uh, <laughs> and from from Bex, as our eldest, she was little little preschool kid. And you just hear this, this Mom, Dad, I'm going to be... The thing, as adults, you, you kind of, you know, you know when you, you know you're not feeling that, and you, and you kind of get to that point where you know you're going to bond, don't you? And there's usually, you've usually got enough time to get somewhere. And you, but kids, they haven't worked that out. So by the time they sort of think, maybe I should let someone know, it's too late. Here's another rule about kids and vomit. The volume of vomit is in direct in proportion to their body size. <laughs> the smaller the kid, the more the vomit. Bex was a small kid at the time. Couldn't believe it. Went in the room. There she is. She sort of sat in her. She sat up, and she her face, the whole of her face, and she had this kind of bob haircut at the time in her hair, all dribbling out of her hair, all down. She had a kind of all-in-one onesie, all down the onesie. It was this kind of liquid and lumps. <laughs> <laughs> 
And it's just, it's all on her bedding. There was a bit on, she was in a sort of, like a bunk bed thing. And it was dripping off the frame of the, onto the carpet. And Joe and I, we go in and Joe, is, was a physiotherapist, worked with people with head injuries. She's just, her daily job is just, is this kind of scene. So she's just in her element. That's just, she just, you know, she straight gets to work. And I'm, I'm kind of not so experienced in that. And so I'm saying, I'm like the classic sort of Tyrannosaurus Rex. Please let me help. Kind of, because uh, 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 already the kind of aroma, the sort of vom smell. And I'm sort of, oh, and you're slightly sort of retching yourself. And Joe is kind of, she's got bags in one hand, she's going, and she's still thinking, hang on, aren't I married to someone? Here, have bets. And here's my, my moment of shame. Because I'm kind of nice and warm and clean shirt and kind of still, you know, just a glass of wine. I just, I'm so sort of relaxing, chill. And I can see that Bex is covered in vomit. She stinks and she's screaming and I don't want anything to do with her. <laughs> but I'm her father and she's my daughter. And I'm ashamed of that split-second reaction, which I confess. And I press through, and I take my daughter, and I hold her to myself, and I can feel her shaking little, shivering little body in my arms, and her vom now messes with <laughs> my shirt, and I can smell it. And it, it, it's an acidic thing that gets right inside your nostrils. And my stomach is beginning to churn, but she's my daughter, and I love her, and I hold her. And here's why. On her own, she was never going to get changed. She needed to come to the one who was clean in order to get clean herself. This is the thing about holiness and God. Can I say, I bet there are one or two out here, and the reason why you don't come to God to be holy as he is holy, to receive his holiness, to be in God, is because you think that before you go to God, you've got to clean yourself up, and you can't do it. You've got more chance of cleaning yourself up than Beck's a little toddler had of cleaning up her. And I bet there are others of us here who think that my momentary, flawed, human response is God's forever, eternal response to you. That he would never... Look at you. Have you smelled you? Look at the state of you. Clean yourself up. I'm not going anywhere near you. You think I want to hug that? And I tell this story to, to create, as far as it's possible, the greatest distinction between my flawed fatherhood the perfection of our Father in Heaven because He would never hesitate from reaching out and hugging us in our state. Romans 5.8 committed to memory while we were still sinners puke-ridden in our sin Christ died for us with no guarantee that any of us would respond to His Tony, sacrificial death on the cross. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Doesn't that tell you about the heart of God? You can't clean yourself up. And it doesn't matter how stinky your sin has made you in your eyes. God 
reaches out and in his holiness loves you and calls you and invites you in. He hugs you and in so doing, as you receive his hug, he changes you. He transforms you. In, in a similar, I mean, it was a kind of a, a derivative of that, a relative of that transformation is Ellie's story. You know, as, as Ellie did what she could do, God does what Ellie couldn't initially do. God works that transformation in her heart and in all our hearts. As we come to him, as we trust him, as we look to be holy. The Latin word for holiness is sanctus, from which we get sanctification. The process of becoming holy, of accepting the invitation, of obeying the command and becoming more engodded, allowing more of him to leak out. And here, I, I wonder, is where we have a, a sort of slightly flawed thinking of what holiness is. In other words, coming to God and receiving that hug that changes us on a daily renewing basis. We think, we tend to think, there is a thought out there. Well, I don't want to put that on you. Maybe you don't think this, but a lot of people do. I used to think this. And I can slip into this thinking that God is a scarce resource. There's only so much of God. I kind of got to get in there quick with a sharp elbow with my prayer. Because if I don't, then he'll answer someone else and I'm going to wait in the queue. And we think this with, with holiness. That holiness is the sort of thing that God gives us. But be careful because it might run out. Holiness, we think, is like wearing, you know, in the, in the summer, and you kind of think, oh, okay, I'll kind of break out into a nice summer wardrobe, and you get out your white, crisp chinos, or your white jeans, you know, and you, they've been in the cupboard there, and you get them out, and you kind of wash, iron them, you know, iron them, they're always gleaming, they always glow, you know, oh, yeah, I'll put them on, my white jeans, and then you go out and live London life. You think, oh, I'll just catch the tube, you've got the tube, and it's not one of the nice new ones on the district line, it's one of those old tubes that's had decades of people sitting on the seat, and you think, oh, I think I'll just stand. Because <laughs> you can just see years and years and years of grime on that seat, and uh, you have a, is it just me, am I just really accident prone with the, with the kind of take-out coffees and with the lid? I can ne- the lid's never quite fit on the thing, so I go and take the first slip, <laughs> And, and what is it about spill? I mean, on a, on a dark house, you can get away with a, a spill of coffee, can't you? But in your nice white chinos, uh uh-uh. uh. And why is it that a coffee spill never goes down the shin? It always lands in the, the place where you wouldn't want it to land. <laughs> Obvious stain, dubious. <laughs> Questionable. <laughs> and so, what does that do to me as I'm wearing my chinos around town? It inhibits me. It, it kind of restricts me. I, I kind of, I, I become, I shrivel. I become impoverished. I become less of the person. I'm not free. I'm restrained and restricted. That's not freedom. That's not holiness. Holiness is liberating. Holiness is becoming the person God has created me to be. But we think holiness is like a white pair of jeans. I've got to protect it. I've got to pull over a camel. And I restrict myself. That's not living. I think too many Christians live holy lives like wearing a white pair of jeans. No wonder the church is so anemic, so restricted, so marginalized. We're not really living. Jesus had an analogy for holiness. It wasn't white chinos. In Matthew 5, as part of the Sermon on the Mount, he said, holiness is like salt. You 
He says, you are the salt of the earth. Just limitless supply. You just get salt all the time. Run out of salt, you just get some more. It's just commonplace. You, he says, are the salt of the earth. And salt works through active engagement. No, no one, no one has, you think, oh, a little bit, hmm, just uh, not quite a supper time. I'll fancy a snack, fancy some fruit, some uh, nuts. Uh, maybe I'll have a handful of salt. You, know, you don't eat salt. But what you do is you take salt and you put it into foodstuffs and that brings out the flavour. Salt engages. That's why we've, we, we, took a, we had a wedding yesterday, so we're taking down our banners. But one of our, one of our givens as a church, one of the pillars of the church is get out there. We, we are mission-orientated, mission-focused as a church. How else do holy people live? Because there's salt, and salt is, is meant to engage in order to bring out flavour, or to preserve goodness, or to ward off decay. Sailors in old times, before refrigeration, travelling across the sea, they take their meat and they rub it in salt, because the salt would, would hold in the goodness and prevent decay. Or again, when medicine was a little bit more rudimentary, had a cut, you, you rub salt in it, because salt would, would clean the impurities and, and, and catalyse the healing of the wound. Salt heals. Salt brings out goodness and flavour. Salt is holiness. It's, it's, it's the giving of oneself to a greater cause. That's what we're called to do. We're, we're called to engage in our places of work, in our society, in, in politics or the arts, media. We're called to engage with the tertiary sector, education, the health. We're called to use our gifts and abilities to expend ourselves for something greater. A great big, I know I've said this before, but it's worth repeating in my opinion. A great big pan of stew can be hugely influenced by a tiny little bit of salt. You don't need the same quantity of salt, just a little bit of salt, and the whole stew is impacted. Our lives, we, we, living holy, engaged lives for God out there, we can have a disproportionate influence, impact on society. Yes, but how? I realise I've spoken for some time. Just very quickly. It, it's, going to, it's going back to the disciplines. Oh, no, but if you knew what the disciplines release and enable in you, you, you'd go out of your way. When Joe and I were, we, we say courting, I don't know what it is now, but when we were doing that, back in the olden days, and well, we were kind of you know, checking each other out as it were, this is, we were at university. Joe, Joe, she knew that I was a history student and she was studying as a physio. And um, so she thought, okay, history student, where will I find Tim Stilwell? For some reason, she didn't first think of the library. Uh, and apparently, upon various people's advice, it was a sports centre where she's most likely to bump into me during a day. Uh, that was on right the other side of campus from where she trained. So Joe would, jo would go out of her way to just see if she could bump into Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Joe lives, I used to go, I, uh, when I, um, there was a period of time when I was sort of doing a kind of commute as it were, and um, there was a direct line from A to B where I lived on my bike, A to B, and Joe lived at C, which was off the beaten track. But I would, I would sort of make up it, I would try and find excuses to go to C, just to sort of, um, oh, I happen to be here. <laughs> it's Joey. <laughs> when... When the outcome is, when you want relationship, when you want 
when you want to be with someone, you'll, you'll go out of your way to make it happen. You'll contort yourself in all sorts of ways to make it happen. Why don't we do that with God? No, I won't just read the Bible. Why don't I learn that verse or even that paragraph? Why don't I shift my attitude from just me getting through the Bible to getting the Bible through me? That in a busy, hectic world, why don't I just carve out five, 10, 15 minutes a day to just be still and know that I am God? To, to, to get rid of all the, in a sense, the vomit of the day. To, to feel that embrace of the Father and to know myself being changed. I do those little incremental steps in order that God's holiness is found more and more in me. And that's what, that's what links holiness and hope. And our hope, as God transforms us, bleeds out of our lives so that in everything that we say and do, God gets the glory. I finish with this. Chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Peter, dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, abstain from the sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Holy living. Wholesome living. Substantial living that transforms us and glorifies him. Amen.